So Psalm 95, starting in the second part of verse 7, says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, which also is a place but means quarreling. And it says, as on the day at Massa, which means testing, in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So God is telling his people to hear that if we demand that God show us more of his power than he already has, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his glory than he already has, than he has chosen to show us already. If we demand that before we're willing to follow him or do what he says, that is hard heartedness. It's rebellion and it's walking outside of God's will for your life. And outside of God's good ways that result in life to the fullest, to new life and abundance. God hates being tested and tried when he's already shown someone how much he cares for and about them. To demand more than the cross of Jesus Christ as proof that God is good is a sin against God because it's demanding that He show you more than He has chosen to show you of Himself. So if you demand that before you're willing to obey, is to demand more than God has decided to show. And if you care about your relationship with God, and I would deduce that if you're here this morning, you at least are, are wanting to care about a relationship with God, and you care whether you're walking within His will for your life, today's passage and this teaching is a must for you. A relationship with God is what is at stake, and a thriving relationship with God is what's at stake. Knowing God as He is hangs on whether we are hard or soft-hearted. Being able to receive His grace and love in a way that will transform your life is at stake today. And the lives of others and being able to bless the lives of others with that same grace means that we must, to do that, we must be soft-hearted. And you're not here by chance today. You're not here just by coincidence. I believe that everyone that is here, everyone that is gathered together with God's people all around the world today is because God wants us to hear God wants you to hear about His love and His grace for you today. And He wants you also to be transformed so that you can be soft-hearted and obey Him more fully today and every day. And if God has brought you here today to hear this message, then I, I believe that if God has done that, it's worth our time to dig into this together and to listen and to, to focus in on this passage And so if you decide now today to humble yourself and let Jesus show you his love for you, you will become more soft-hearted. You will become more intimate with the God who made you and knows every hair on your head. The 
And you will be more in walking in the will of God for you in your life. You will become that new city within the city that gets to show what God is like. What a city transformed by God's grace looks like. And we are all in this struggle together, right? It is, it is a struggle for all of us to listen to God and obey with a soft heart. It's a struggle to do anything with a soft heart. No matter what it is. I mean, I think of a life we talk often here about our identity in Christ. That when you are baptized, you are immersed. You, like a piece of cloth being dyed red, it's the same word, it's baptismo, it's to immerse in a dye, to make it a new color. That fabric is now red if you dip it in red dye. Just as when we are immersed in God, we are made into a new identity as family, as missionaries, and as servants. Well, that is both hopeful and convicting at the same time, isn't it? Because I I want to believe with all my heart that I am called to be a missionary, a sent one, a royal priest to my neighbors. And I know what God has called me to do, to reach out to them and just build relationships and create open doors for sharing the good news of the gospel. And yet I drive through my neighborhood again and again saying, God, I just need a new, a little more from you before I just walk next door and knock on the door and offer my neighbor a drink or a time together or a movie together. It's so difficult to be soft-hearted and obey. I know what God has already shown me. I know that he has equipped me. I know all of us in the room have enough wisdom. Do you know how to knock on a door? Right? We all know how to do that. So it's not a matter of not knowing enough, but it's a matter of being soft-hearted enough to follow when God directs. So the problem we have is that our relationship with Jesus, the problem in being soft-hearted and following Jesus is that Our relationship with God and our relationship with Jesus is not by sight, is it? I mean, that would make things, we think, easier. Although, when you read the Bible, it wasn't necessarily easier for even Jesus' disciples who saw Jesus to follow him. But we struggle because our relationship with God is by faith. And faith means we follow God even when we want to see more from him. Faith requires that we follow when we can't see, when we can't see what's next. We can't see what's around the bend. We can't see what's over the hill. Faith means that we follow him for who we believe that he is and what we believe he has done. I don't like personally going around corners or over hills with someone when I when there might be danger there and I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds adventurous, but, but that makes us all pause when it's like, come on, follow me into these dark woods in the middle of the night that you've never been in. That doesn't sound like, it sounds like fun, but it sounds dangerous. And I'm not so sure if I don't trust you utterly and completely. And God calls us to follow his lead around corners that we can't see and into dark places where no light can shine. And he calls us to follow him by faith, not by sight. So how do we do that? How can we obey Jesus' leading all the time, not just when we can see what's next? Not just when, yes, I will be generous because I've saved up enough to be generous. But God is calling you to sometimes to be generous when you can't see how he will provide that dollar if you give it away. 
How do we do that? What's the secret or the solution to fighting our desire to see everything before it happens? Our desire to have Jesus give each one of us a special sign before we're willing to obey. Well, in today's passage, we see a huge part of the solution to this problem. Let's read it again. Today, if you hear his voice. How many of you have have or have had a Bible? Ever. The Bible is the word of God. And so when it says on the page, if you hear his voice, that doesn't just mean a, a booming, audible thing that, that out of the sky. That means if you've ever read the Bible, if you hear his voice, if today, later on or tomorrow you open up the Bible, that is God wanting to speak to you. That is God's word. And it says, if you hear his voice, which is also an internal thing. That is the Holy Spirit prompting and encouraging and instructing. That is the community of God pointing us to the truths of God's calls to obedience. So if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on the day at Massa in the wilderness when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Again, Mass Meribah means quarreling, Massa means testing. They quarreled and they tested and they, they put God to the test and they put God to the proof, even though they had seen his work. God rebukes his people for being hard hearted instead of remembering what he'd already done. Instead of remembering what he had already done. If you've been around New City for a while, then I'd like to I'd like you to tell us a little bit. This, Tell us, what would God's people have already seen him do for them at this point in the story? Because he talks about 40 years in the wilderness right after that. So what is that referring to? What has God done for his people? The Exodus. What does that mean? What did he do? Yeah, he brought them out of slavery parted the waters of the Red Sea, freed them with amazing miracles. He gave them manna. Explain that a little bit. He gave them bread from heaven. Yeah. Bread from heaven just appeared all over the ground, right? Marco? He gave them water from a rock. Now, it's not like... the, The story isn't that Moses moved a rock and there was a stream that they just didn't see before. Water from a rock. That is proof, right? That God loves them and God cares for them. What else? What are some other things God had done for his people? Yeah. He would cure them again and again from whatever afflicted them. He led them by a pillar of cloud by day. And a pillar of fire by night. And yet, they hardened their hearts when he called them to obedience. Yeah, absolutely. And what has God done that is is no less, but even more than all those things? What has God done for us, his people? 
He frees us from the law by grace. Yeah. What else? There's a thing with a sun and a cross. What is the, What did he do? You guys in your facetiousness. took on human form, human flesh. He got tired and sleepy and took naps and that he didn't have to take before when he was in heaven. And he, he suffered and was beaten and mocked and ridiculed and had to, to walk alongside disciples who kept disobeying and not doing what he called him, them to do and questioned his sovereignty and questioned his rule and questioned his goodness. And then ultimately, he was beaten to a bloody pulp and nailed to a cross to endure excruciating pain for our sakes. And not only to experience pain, but to experience the the wrath of God against all our hard-heartedness and rebellion poured on him for our sakes so that we could be set free from the law by grace. And if God has saved us By such a wonderful and gracious and powerful and beautiful and glorious story as that. Good news. Is there anything in life that should cause us to question whether he can handle this afternoon or tomorrow? No, there isn't. And to say otherwise is to speak or to live with a hard heart. So the point is that the softest hearts are those who remember the hardness of the cross. The secret to having a soft heart is to come in contact with the hard reality of the cross again and again and again and again. Or as Vince, I think, put it this week, soft hearts have splinters. Because we, we come up against again and again the, the cross of Jesus, the real wooden cross that Jesus was crucified on for our behalf. But behind that is the even more real spiritual reality that he pays our ultimate and eternal debt against a perfect God on that cross. God says here in this psalm to his people that if they had just remembered who he is and what he's done for them. They would not have hardened their hearts against him like they were doing. And the same is true for us today. If we will soften our hearts, if we will humble ourselves, and we will look at God for who he is and what he's done and what he is doing and what he promises that he will do, that will stop us from delaying in in our obedience. We will stop arguing with him When we look at everything and we look at his call to obedience in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus more fully, we will obey with softer hearts. The softest hearts are those who remember the hardness of the cross. One way to illustrate it is to think of a son following his father. Think of it. If you are watching a movie or reading a book... And there was a father in the story, and that father again and again sacrificed whatever it took. He sacrificed extremely costly things for his family. 
And he loved his family. He cared for them. He worked really hard, but he, was, he played even harder with them. He loved them and cared for them and nurtured them. Cared for every need emotionally and physically for his family. Better than any father you can imagine. His character and his love for his family just jumps off the page or jumps off the screen. And yet there's a son in the story that continues to defy his father again and again. You'd probably yell at the screen or yell at the page. Why? Why are you being so defiant? The father is so good. And yet I am that son whose father is perfect. And I harden my heart against him again and again and again. If we would just see the love of the father see His perfection, it would soften our hearts. We see that in the Bible with several stories. We see that with, with Joseph, whose his brothers put him in a pit, told their dad he was dead, and then sold him into slavery. He ended up being the second in charge of all of Egypt, in charge of basically the world's food supply when there was a huge famine. His brothers had to come to him, not knowing it was him, and ask, beg for food. And once they realized who he was and the grace that he was showing them, they treated him with great esteem and love. Once they realized the love that their brother was showing them, their hearts were softened toward him. Anytime we delay in our obedience to God, anytime we disobey God, anytime we kind of shut off our ears and say, no, God, I don't want to do that thing that you've called me to do. We are like that the son who disobeys the perfect father who has given them and will continue to give them everything he needs. When we say, God, no, you've got to show me a little more before I can really follow you around my corner. But the softest hearts are those who remember the hardness of the cross. And God knows, as again, we, we, I talked already a little bit about how it's not a knowledge issue. Many of us know what God wants us to do. Maybe if you're, you're brand new to Christianity, brand new to the Bible, you may not know what God wants you to do. But many of us in the room do know Generally and specifically often what God calls us and wants us to obey even right now as we came in here this morning. And just so you know, God knows what that you know what you know. Just so you know, God knows that you know what you know. He's not like, oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if they got that message when you're like, if I don't say it out loud, nobody will know. And God won't know that I really read that passage. God knows that you've read enough of your Bible to know what to obey. God knows that I've had plenty of conversations with people calling me to obedience, calling me to repentance again and again. He's not fooled thinking, oh, well, maybe it's just a knowledge thing. So let me ask you actually again out loud, if you've been around the church for a while, what are some things, big things, small things, general things, specific things that you know God wants you to obey or that you are obeying. What's that? To love one another. Which can be really hard. Yeah. 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 Patricia's in my gospel community, so it's, it's extra hard to love one another. Because I am. Hard-hearted often. What else? To keep the Sabbath. 
James. To serve others. Serve the community. To have patience, absolutely. Ivan. To not give false testimony. That's great. I was at their house the other day. They were going through the New City Catechism. Marco. To worship God and none other. Absolutely. To not worry about tomorrow. To give generously. To give to the church. Absolutely. And yet we keep falling short, don't we? Okay, so it's not a knowledge issue for most of us. To show forgiveness, to to truly forgive one another. Absolutely. So the problem for most of us is not knowledge. The problem has way more to do with our view of the God that's calling us to obedience. With our heart's stance towards God. And when the Bible talks about the heart, it is kind of the you of you. It's the heart thinks, the heart dreams, the heart repents, the heart sings. The heart is not just the emotional center of you. It is it just means it means all life flows from there, the source of, of life, your soul, your spirit, your heart. We disobey not because we're unsure, but because we are hard hearted. So a couple of weeks ago I read a couple of verses from Ephesians and Colossians, which are letters from the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, about forgiving as Jesus has forgiven us, the same in the same way that he has forgiven us. And that principle of looking at Jesus to see how it's done applies to all areas of God's commands, of God's calls to obedience. Look at Jesus. So Ephesians 4.32 said, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.12 and 13 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. So there's a list of things God's calling us to right there. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Saying, look at how Jesus did it. Follow Jesus' example. But today we're not focusing only on looking at Jesus as an example. Because like we said, we have the example, right? We know that Jesus was great. We had our what would Jesus do bracelets a few years ago, right? We know how to ask that question of how would Jesus do it? But it doesn't stop there. The Bible also talks about that as we look at Jesus. And not just take a glance at him. And not just look at him like a demon would look at him. Because the demons looked at Jesus. They knew exactly who he was and they believed it, but they didn't worship him. As their God, as their Lord, as their Savior, as their friend. As we look at Jesus and as we adore Jesus, as we worship Jesus with our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We actually are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit to become more soft-hearted like Him. Hebrews 12, which is has a lot of commentary on this psalm, says a couple things about this. In in Hebrews 12, 2, it talks about, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. 
Remember what he did. Fixing our eyes on Jesus because he perfects our faith. He gives us faith. Consider him, verse 3 says, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look at Jesus for soft hearts. Look at Jesus for hearts that endure when times are hard. When God calls you into difficult things. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. He's saying, as we look at the glory of the Lord, which is Jesus, on the cross, who was spoken of as glorified when he was put on the cross. As we, as we look at Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is how we become more like Jesus, how we're sanctified. That's a big word that means become more like Jesus. We are made more like Jesus by looking at who? Jesus. Not just as an example, but as we adore him, as we fix our gaze and our heart toward him, his spirit transforms us. How exactly that happens, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in heaven, maybe we won't. But I know that as we worship Jesus, the Bible tells us we're transformed from one degree of glory to another. We are made more like Jesus. Him. Does anybody want to be made more like Jesus? Anybody want to be softer hearted? We look at him. We worship him. We remind one another to look at him. We fix our life trajectory toward him and the spirit will transform us from the inside out. Because the softest hearts are those who remember the hardness of the cross. And I struggle with this hard heartedness. I struggle Again, to trust that when my Father in Heaven really does, that, that when He calls me to obey, He really does have my best interest in mind. If you're a parent, you may tell your kids that often, right? Who knows best? Who knows best? Daddy knows best. Which is a little bit of a stretch. But like, Daddy knows better than you, right? Trust me. And, and our kids, especially if you have a toddler, it feels like it's never going to end, right? The struggle against a toddler and a toddler's inability to follow when they see a candy bar over there and you're saying, go this way. That's like they might as well walk through the valley of the shadow of death. <laughs> and we are the same way toward God, right? We, we struggle to, to, to embrace our, our inner toddler follower and, and say, God, I trust you. We trust that you have my best interest in mind, that all of this will work out for my good and good or good than I can good, right? Better than I can do on my own, better than anyone else can give me. If I trust you, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're with me and you love me and you're transforming me from one degree of glory to another as I fix my gaze on Jesus. And without Jesus, without knowing His power and His grace and His love and His might that is perfectly displayed through His life and death and resurrection, 
God is not worth following into those situations if that has not, has, has not happened. So this is our only solution to be able to follow anyone through those most difficult times is to look at the cross where God proved His trustworthiness once and for all. We need to think of Jesus Christ. We need to see His work. That's what He says at the end of, in, in Psalm 95.9, right? He said, even though they had seen my work. And God is saying to us today, you, you can't follow even though you've seen my work on the cross. His suffering in the place of sinners. We need to think of Jesus in his, his deep and matchless resolve to march to the cross to bear the sins of the world. And saying in the face of death, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. We need to think of the reality that if I was left to myself and I was standing in that crowd the day that Jesus was crucified, I would probably not be the one crying out, Hail the King. But I would instead mock and call out, Crucify Him. And yet He loves me. We need to think of, of Jesus Christ, the one who is all glory and honor is due to Him. All worship is due to Him. He bared all of my shame. He bore all of my shame. All of my dishonor. Even though all honor is due Him, He bore my dishonor so that I can be forgiven and enjoy the blessedness and enjoyment of forgiveness. We think of Christ who hung, stripped of His clothing to be made a spectacle of suffering so that I could be clothed in His righteousness. We need to think of His, his absolutely parched throat and having cotton mouth as His tongue probably stuck to His cheeks as He hung on the cross so that he hung there so that I can enjoy the refreshment that comes from His spring of eternal life. We think and remember His cry, Father, why have You forsaken Me? So that I would never be forsaken and never abandoned by my Father in Heaven. We think... And we remember that Jesus tasted death so that I never have to taste death. There will be a day for every Christian when we don't so much die, but we stop sinning all at once. And we're with Him and we see Him perfectly as He is. We don't die if we are Christians. We live eternally because Jesus tasted death for us. We think and we remember that Jesus didn't stay dead, but He was raised from the dead because Jesus is alive. <laughs> and He declared victory over sin. It couldn't hold Him. Death could not hold Him in the grave. And He defeated death once and for all so that we don't have to die. Jesus is alive. And we remember what He did. We remember what He's doing to transform us from one degree of glory to another and to save us from the power of the, the little 
nasty, pestering sins that we can't seem to get over. And he, he saves us daily a little more from the, the big, huge failures that we can't forget. He cleanses us and he saves us from those things. And one day he'll save us from even the very presence of sin and death and suffering and tears. And when I remember that, when we remember that, we don't just become louder singers on Sunday morning, but we do become louder singers on Sunday morning. I don't just become a more passionate preacher when I remember that, but I do become a more passionate preacher when I remember that. I don't just become a better dad when I remember that, but I do become a better dad when I remember that. We don't just become more courageous missionaries, and yet we do become more courageous missionaries when we remember that. When we think of Christ and see Him as He is, we worship. We find ourselves joining in the, the heavenlies, in the saints that have gone before us, and with the angels, and we, we cry out to God as Revelation says, we all will one day to Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. And we become a picture of that. A picture of the new city, the new Jerusalem that will be established when Jesus returns one day, that will be absolutely full of His presence and full of His worship. We want to become worshipers. We want to become soft-hearted. We want our lives to be redeemed more and more. To be refilled with purpose and meaning and significance and love. Don't we? That's what Jesus is offering us today. He's offering that every day, but he's offering it to you who hear him today. Right now, he is offering you this. If we will only soften our hearts, remember his works. If we will immerse every moment of our day in his work, in his love, in his perfect and perfecting grace. He will transform our lives and the lives of our, of our loved ones and our neighbors and our city all around us. And, and there's good news is that you weren't just created to go out and try this alone on your own. How many of you need help in living the Christian life? All of us, right? We were not created. We were not designed to be independent. We were not designed to be independent. Hebrews 3 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, or hard heart that we're talking about, right? Leading you to fall away from the living God, but exhort one another. Does anybody know how often it says? Every day. That's a little intense, right? Like I thought church was Sunday, maybe a small group thing in the middle of the week, and maybe you add to that like a, a discipleship group or an accountability group. That's like maybe three days. 
Every day we are the church. And that, that's not just a vague sense of like, ooh, I'm the church today, yay. And that is a real call to exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today. So all the days that end in Y, God is saying, exhort one another. Why? So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That is a dangerous place to be, for to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know what happens when you, you harden your heart? Like God calls you to, you know, to walk over to someone and smile, say, Maybe it's someone in your gospel community. You come together on a Sunday gathering and you, you had maybe a little disagreement or argument with them in the middle of the week and you see them across the room and you're like, I'm glad they're across the room. And the Holy Spirit is, is saying to you in your heart or you're just remembering a scripture or maybe even someone says, let's go talk to them. And you, what, it, what happens for a lot of us? We, we harden our hearts against that call, right? Say, no, I, I want to avoid it for another day, another hour. What begins to happen as we harden our heart a little by little is, is the same. It's kind of the opposite of transformed from one degree of glory to another. It's, it's we're kind of putting layers of, of calcified scar tissue on our heart. We're hardening our hearts and we're, we're being deceived. And it's like our view of God's call to us for life and grace gets more and more dim as we do that. We have a harder time seeing how much He loves us. We have a harder time seeing how much He wants us to love one another as, as we are hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I know nobody in the room wants that for one another. And so the call here in Hebrews that relates to this passage is then to exhort or to remind one another of the cross, even with strong words sometimes. To call one another out in love and in grace and with patience and gentleness. Every day, as long as it is called today. So a DNA group, which is groups of three men and three women that make up our gospel communities here in New City, is a wonderful thing. But if your DNA group, if you talk to them once a week, that's not enough. Biblically, I'm not making this up. That's not enough. If, you, if your gospel community, which is a, an extended family of people who make time for one another to live life together and reorient their lives around a specific neighborhood or mission field, if you see them or talk to them once or twice a week, not, I'm not saying you have to hang out with all you know, 43 people that make up your gospel community every day, but if you don't see or interact with them except... Once or twice a week, that is not enough. If, if you only see the people of God when there's a big gathering, it is not enough for your heart to be guarded from the deceitfulness of sin and for you to help them guard their heart against the deceitfulness of sin and to keep one another and guard one another from moving from soft-heartedness to hard-heartedness. Loving invasiveness is what we're called to as the people of God. Loving invasiveness. And I know some of us love privacy. Like, I mean, you just, the word privacy for some of us is like, that's my happy place. <laughs> if I could close my door, maybe even just turn off the lights and look at the blackness. No one knows my thoughts. I know we love that. 
And we're conditioned even by, by many things in our lives, in our world, to love privacy. But clearly the Bible calls us to an everyday loving invasiveness. We, we need our hearts to be known. I need my heart to be known by you so that you can exhort it with the gospel. So you can build me up with grace. And you need your heart to be known by the other people of God who know Jesus. So that they can say, look, you're not in this place living in line with the gospel. And the gospel is good news. The gospel is freedom. So that's to exhort one another is to say, look, you've picked up a chain and tried to put it back around yourself when you're free from it. You don't have to do that because of Jesus' grace, because of Jesus' love, because of the cross. So the question for us is if we built our lives and our life together around remembering the work of Jesus, what would that look like? Imagine how wonderful and free that would be. How it would change the way we see struggles if the, the thing that's taking up our vision more than our struggles is the love of Jesus. Imagine how that would change how you see struggles. How you see the, even the food on your table and the provision that God gives you day in and day out. If you see it in light of the cross of Jesus. Imagine the way it would change how you see your sin. If every time you see your sin, you remember that, that today your brother or sister in Christ reminded you that Jesus paid for that sin on the cross. Imagine how it would change the way you see generosity if today a brother or sister in Christ reminded you how generous Jesus was toward you. Imagine how it would change the way you see the sins of others if you were reminded today by a brother or sister in Christ that Jesus has either paid for every sin of, of everyone or he will judge their sins someday when he comes back. And so you don't need to demand payment from anyone. You don't get to demand payment from anyone for their sin, right? Imagine how it would change the way you interact with the Bible, the Word of God. Either the passages that are already in your head or, or as you read them. Imagine how it would change the way you read the Bible when you, when you were reminded today by a brother and sister in Christ that the Bible is the story of God's love and compassion toward you. You'd be searching the pages for that story, right? You'd be reading it not as an instruction manual for life, but as a beautiful story of a loving father who you would never want to harden your heart toward if you really knew. Imagine how it would change the way you see otherwise hopeless moments and days. When nothing in this life is working. When, if your brothers and sisters every day were reminding you of His work, on the cross. So this week, do anything. Do everything you can to remember His work. To see His work. And do anything and everything you can to remind one another every day, as long as it's called today, of His work on the cross. And we will have soft hearts and we will be transformed to be a truly new city within our city. A new love will spread. A new amount of grace will spread to our city if that happens. I'm going to pray and then I'm 
we're going to have time and space. The musicians are going to come up and play a little, little bit. And during that time, there are uh, a few tables set up on the wings with a, a cup and a piece of uh, matzah, a piece of bread. And Jesus, when he ate the Last Supper, it's called, before he was taken to be crucified, he took the bread and he dipped it in the wine. Or he took the bread and he took the wine. Sorry, we're dipping it. But he, he took the bread and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he took the wine and he said, this is the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And he said for us to do this, to eat this meal in remembrance of him until he comes again. So we're talking about remembering God's work, and that's what we get a chance to do in a couple minutes. And so I encourage you to go as brothers and sisters in Christ. If you came alone and your faith is in Christ and you are part of the family of God, but, but you don't know the people here, then just join someone as they're reminding one another of God's grace and taking communion. Just nudge your way in because we're family. If you came here today and your faith was not in Christ, if, if you're not remembering what he's done, but you're hearing anew or your heart is hearing for the first time and, and you really do want to surrender your life to Jesus today and, and be part of the family of God and follow Jesus and be transformed from one degree of glory to another by faith in him, then I'd invite you to go maybe with who you came with or somebody you know and, and tell them that. Or you come find me and tell me that I want to place my faith, I want to follow Jesus today. And we can, we can talk through that and pray through that and praise God for the faith that he's given you today. And we can take communion together. So let me pray, and then we'll do that. Dad in heaven, we are extremely forgetful children. And we are often hard-hearted against you. So we thank you that through Jesus you forgive us. You cleanse us of our uh, dirty rebellion against you. I do pray right now for all of us in this room that we would, that you would, by your Spirit, give us a more uh, vivid remembrance of the cross of Christ. A more vivid remembrance that that the price for our shame and our guilt has been paid once and for all. So we get to rejoice together in your love. Not walk around with our heads down as though we had nothing to celebrate. And also, Lord, for those of us who are coming here today and we are confused about life and we're, we're hurting. We don't know why things are the way they are. We don't know why we've lost what we've lost. Pray that those who are coming today with, with that on their hearts would be encouraged to know that even though we can't see what's next, we can trust you to be with us through what's next. We can trust that you have our best interest in mind because you've already proven that through the cross of Jesus Christ. And so we trust you today, Father. By faith, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray that you would 
You would bless us with a, with a new remembrance today of your work. Amen.